Okay, um, my name is Eric Newcomb. For those of you who here, were here this summer, I, I spoke and introduced my family quickly, but awesome. But since I know a lot of you weren't, I can't resist showing pictures of my family. So let me show a quick picture. It's my beautiful wife, JJ, who's sitting down here. And for those of you who have worked downstairs with the kids, you probably know our three kids, Noah and Ian, and our youngest, Ellie. And so we've lived in Beijing now for 12 years, and we're just really excited to be here. I'm really excited to, to be up front and be able to share with you this morning. So I don't know what you were doing 20 years ago, or almost 20 years ago, but I was a college student at Virginia Tech. And I was involved in a, a campus ministry organization. And I had a discipler or a mentor that, that would challenge me and teach me how to grow in my faith. And one day he came to me and said, Eric, this summer we're going to go on a trip, a missions trip to Moldova. And there we're in Moldova... Uh, which, is a form, which is a country, we're going to tell Moldovan students on how, how they can be Christians, and we're going to share our faith with them. And I said, I'm in. I was young. I was adventurous. I said, I'm doing it. By the way, where is Moldova? Uh, I've never even heard of it, but I'm going. And so for those of you who don't know, I actually have a picture of, of Moldova. It's really hard to see, but down in the it's orange, but on that, it's, it's hard to see. But basically, Moldova used to be part of Romania, and then they got their independence. And just about the time when they got their independence, the Soviet Union formed and took Moldova back. And so they lost their independence to the Soviet Union. And then they got their independence from the Soviet Union, and about a year later is when I, I went with this team to Moldova. So Moldova, actually, it's a very poor country. Uh, it's not very Western. And they have no airport. It's very small. And so what we had to do is we had to fly into uh, Romania to Bucharest and take an overnight train. And so here I am, gung-ho, ready to take on the world, ready to share my faith with Moldovan students. And I fly into Bucharest, Romania. Well, something happened to me on the train on the way to, way to Moldova. And so as I was ri- riding on the train, I'm lying there, and I started panicking. I was thinking what am I doing? I don't know Russian. I don't know the culture. I'm going to fail miserably. Why am I even going to spend several months of my life in Moldova? And it's interesting. One thing I didn't know, but in the former Soviet Union and Europe, they have a different width of train tracks. And somebody later told me that's because the Soviet Union did that on purpose because they didn't want anybody to use their own railway system to attack them. And so what they do is actually they stop you at the border of the Soviet Union, and instead of having you get out of your car and go into, or get out of your train and go into another train, they lift the entire train off the ground, and they roll the wheels, or whatever they would be called, out, and they roll the the wider wheels in, and then the train plops back down on the train, or train on the track. And that whole process takes about, I don't know, a couple hours. And so... At this time, nobody ever wanted to go to Moldova. Um, And so these border guards were really interested. They had several hours, and they were really interested. Why is this group of 10 Americans coming to our country? And so they came on the train, and they had these machine guns. They're all dressed in in their uniforms and everything. And they go into our—if you've ever been on a train, it was very similar to the trains in China where they have little compartments, 
and then there's a hallway outside. And so what they would do is everybody went out to the hallway, and then when it was your turn, they would call you into your compartment. And what he did is he had a piece of paper, and it, he pointed at it, and it said, you must declare all your money. So here we are going to this poor country of Moldova. This guy has a giant machine gun. But what he doesn't know is my team leader, it, we were told in Romania and Moldova, you need to watch out for pickpockets. And so what my team leader decided was, Eric is a very large man. Nobody's going to mess with him. We're going to give him all of our money. And the other thing is, is in Moldova, you can't use credit cards because it's so unwesternized. So all of our money actually was over 20,000 U.S. dollars. So he points to the page and says, you must declare all your money. And I'm thinking, what do I do? Do I lie about this? Do I, do I hide it? But then I thought, he has a machine gun. <laughs> so I gave him all our money, and he's counting it. And he puts, there's a little table that flops down in, in, the, in the little compartment that we're in, and he puts the money on the table. And I thought, I'm never going to see that money again. Well, then what happened is he t- takes his piece of paper out and says, now you must open all your luggage. Well, I don't know if, if you guys are like me, but I was a single guy at the time. Single guys don't pack anything. I, the women on my, on my team were like, I cannot believe you showed up to the airport and your suitcases were, were, weren't even half full. I wore the same shirt, I think, a week and a week straight when I was in Moldova. And uh, that's just how I packed. Well, because I had all that extra room, our team leader said, Eric, since you have all that extra room, can you carry all our materials as well? So I opened the luggage. So the guy points to the paper and says, now you must open the luggage. And so I'm like, oh, great. We're going to see what happens here. And so I opened the luggage, and on top of the luggage was this cellophane-wrapped pack of gospel tracts. It's called the Four Spiritual Laws. And what it is, is it's a very clear four-point outline about how you can know Christ personally. And the four laws were bilingual. So on one side of the page was Russian, and on the other side of the page was English. And so it's wrapped in cellophane, but what he did is he unwrapped the cellophane and pulled one out, and he read the entire booklet. And so I'm standing there as he's looking at it with his machine gun still, still here as he's going through the entire booklet. And my team is all out in the hallway, and they're looking in going, what is Eric going to do? And I'm there standing there going, what am I going to do? And so he finished reading the booklet, and so then before he could hand it back to me, I kind of opened it in his hands and pointed to Law 4, which says we must individually receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then I flipped over to the prayer on how to do that. And this man looked at the prayer, looked at me, then he pointed to the prayer, he pointed to his heart, and he pointed back to the prayer again. Now, I don't know if that man became a Christian that day or not. Maybe he already was a believer. But what I do know is that I was freaking out on that train, going, how, God, how are you going to use me? I'm going to fail miserably. But what God did is he stopped me at the border and he said, Eric, it's not about you. It's about what I can do through you. And that was a huge lesson in my life. It's not about you. It's about what I can do through you. 
Because I was thinking about my own abilities on that train. My language skills, my, my understanding of Moldovan culture. But I wasn't thinking about what God can do through me. So recently I was reading in John chapter 3, verses 22 to 30. It says this, After, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. These verses are very convicting to me because I don't respond like John the Baptist. I, I am not able to respond in humility. He responds in humility. He, he realizes that it's not about him. He is not the bridegroom. He realizes that everything he has is given from above. So how would you respond? What if you were at work and you're working really hard on this project, and then your boss comes in and says, that's such a great project, way to go, and he gives the credit to somebody else? I think in my proud, broken state, I would be like, "Uh, excuse me, (laughs) I I did all that work. But John doesn't respond like that. John's willing to give things up. What if the people you lead come to you and say, and question what you do, which is exactly what happened to John the Baptist. The people that he lead, he leads, uh, came to him and said, what's going on here? You know, I struggle with, with being a people pleaser. And so because of that, I think I would have tried to puff myself up and make myself look big. I would have tried to impress them so that they wouldn't think less of me that, that all these people are going to Jesus. But that's not how John the Baptist responds. I love how he says, he must increase and I must decrease. So I'm not a mathematician and I'm not good at PowerPoint, but you can look at my uh, little graph that I, that I drew once it comes up about God's math. Because, you know, I really realize that I struggle with God's math. I often feel like I need to make myself great so that God looks great. If people look at me and are in awe of, oh, look at Eric, look what he did. Look how he's glorifying God. Look how he's doing this and that. Then God will be glorified. But that's not what God's asking. God's asking us to allow him to work more in our lives and not me work more. And only then are we able to see God in an even more clear way. So today what I want to talk about is two things. How do I decrease and how does God increase in my life? At times, this has radically transformed my life, changed everything about who I am. You know, at at other times, it hasn't changed what I do. It hasn't changed my actions at all, but it's changed why I do it and who I do it for and even my perspective on what I am doing. 
just to know that I'm doing the same thing, but this time I'm doing it for the Lord and not for my own glory. So that's what I want to lock, look, talk about. To have the living God, of the, the God of this universe, and his power flowing through us. And what does that look like? It's truly amazing to me. So I must decrease. What does that look like? How can I do that? Other than not eating carbs, how do, how do I decrease? <laughs> well, do you know what prevents you most from walking with the Lord? Do you know what prevents you most from having him in, in your life? You know, I figured it out. I figured out what prevents me most. And the answer is very simple. And I'm about to give it to you. The greatest hindrance for, for me experiencing him wholly is on the next slide. It's me. It's my sin. It's my pride. It's my plan. It's my need for control. It's my need to perform. It's my desire to protect my heart. It's trusting in myself and my own abilities. I am my own greatest obstacle. Remember what I felt like the Lord was saying on that train to Moldova? It's not about you. It's about what I can do through you. If you forget everything that I shared today, but you remember that one thing, I'll be pretty psyched about that. It's not about me. It's about what God can do through me. As we decrease, he will increase in our lives, and we will see him do extraordinary things, only things that God can do. But that first involves me getting out of the way. I actually think it's kind of not a downward spiral, upward spiral if if they have those. But as I decrease, he will increase. But also as he increases, I will even decrease more. And it just, it'll feed on itself. You know, I saw this poster once and it made me laugh. Uh, but as I thought about it more, it made me sad because I think this is one of the things that I, I really struggle with. It's my pride. I focus on myself, and that prevents me from experiencing him more fully. So are you the one that's hindering yourself from knowing him more? I know that I'm my own greatest obstacle. Are you? Now, hopefully you're not sitting here thinking, I totally agree with Eric. Eric is my greatest obstacle as well. Now, hopefully you can look at yourself and think about, think about that. First, First Corinthians 1, 26 to 31 says, for consider your calling, brothers, that many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, I struggle with boasting in myself. That pride gets in the way of me experiencing him. I'm not, at times I struggle to decrease so that he can increase. You know, even as I read this verse, I struggle to relate to it because it says, who are not wise according to the worldly standards. Well, most of us here have college educations, and so we probably are wise according to the world standards. You know, I I didn't come from a, a noble birth, but I'm an American, and with that I think comes a lot of baggage and 
uh, pride. I, I came from a Christian home, and that gave me an accessibility to the gospel that a lot of people around the world do not have. But what I hear God, it, it, what I hear is God doesn't need me to be all those things. What he needs me to be is where I'm at. And he's okay using me as broken, as not wise, as not of noble birth. You know, also in Philippians 3, 4 through 8, Paul kind of addresses people like me that, that struggle with pride. When Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I had, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I love the fact that God wants to know us. That Jesus wants to know us, not just a one-time thing, but for the rest of our lives. And not just because we're perfect, because we're not. He knows that. In Romans, it says, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that, that just encourages me. And I, and I love how this verse here says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I think my growth in him is often hindered because I put too much worth in the other things that Paul mentions. I put too much worth in, in, the, in the things that he talks about, the reasons for the confidence in our flesh. And, you know, I think we all have a list. Now, fortunately, we're not like Paul, and we didn't have to write that list down in a book that's going to be seen by everybody for all eternity. But we all have that list. And, you know, we probably aren't even willing to admit that out loud and say what our list is. But I think somewhere in our heart, there, there's a list of the reasons why we put confidence in our own flesh. You know, I talked about being an American. I think, it, especially here in China, it's easy to, to think, well, you know, in America, they don't drive like this. Or, you know, my, our bank account isn't very large by any means. But compared to the world, we have way more money. And so there, it's often easy for me to, to put value and worth and even security in our finances. Just like Paul I can also look to my own accomplishments, my own performance for validation instead of looking to Christ. So I'm still learning, just like you guys. I'm learning what does that mean to count it all as loss for the sake of Christ. So I wanted to share with you what I call my constant choice. Every day when I wake up, I have three options. Every minute of the day, I feel like I have three options. Now, we all have different things that we wrestle with different ways that we make life work. But I, as I've been really processing my relationship with the Lord, there's three things that I do. And the first is that I perform. Now, I really value doing something well. I value excellence and efficiency. A friend of mine once asked me, Eric, why do you value results more than you value loving people well? Even yesterday, I was in the kitchen with my wife, and, and I was trying to cook dinner and get it on the table. And she sat down while I was cooking and started talking to me. And I could tell she really wanted me to engage her heart. And, but at the same time, I had a goal. I needed to get dinner on the table. The kids were getting hungry. And 
and I blew it. I focused on, on dinner more than I focused on her. But I, the good news is I realized in the midst of it that I blew it, and I, at least this time I was able to come to her and apologize before she came to me and, and talked to me about how I blew it. So, <laughs> um, But I do, I value performing. When I was a student at Virginia Tech, I was put in charge of this campus-wide outreach, and I worked so hard. I, I spent hours and hours and hours of working on this. And then we had a prayer time, and one of the girls that was another co-leader, she prayed, Lord, if you're not showing up, I pray that we fail. Man, that made me so angry. I was like, what, are you kidding me? Did she not realize how much work I put into this? I wanted this thing to succeed with or without God. But you know what? She was right. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I will abide in you, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I often try and perform and do stuff apart from God. It's something that I'm trying to learn and, and grow in. So my second option is I withdraw. If you're like me and you like to perform, you know it's tiring. It's exhausting. And when I get tired of trying to perform, the next thing I do is I withdraw. To be honest, I don't even realize I'm doing it. But if you ask my wife and my kids, uh, what does Eric do when he gets overwhelmed? They'll say, oh, he goes, uses his iPad. I think, uh, I think JJ would be happy if I threw out my iPad. But uh, yeah, I get overwhelmed and then I withdraw. I go check my fantasy football team. I, che- I check sports scores. I play some mindless game where I'm launching birds across the screen. So all in an attempt to withdraw. But what I realized is when I get overwhelmed, I run. Now, unfortunately, I run to nothing. I run to numb the pain. But what I'm starting to, to learn is how do I run to the cross? How do I run to Jesus? And that's the third option. And that's to depend. Now, of course, answer C is the correct answer. Um, I really want the Holy Spirit to direct and empower my life. And the more and more I, I'm able to depend on him, the more victory I'm seeing. The more I depend on him and his work through me, I actually see better results than if I was the one performing. Now, unfortunately, for a while, that dependence really only came when the first two options failed. Like I was on that train to Moldova, I realized I'm not going to be able to perform well. I don't know the language. I don't know the culture. So I couldn't perform. I couldn't withdraw either. I was on a train. I was going there for several months. It would be impossible for me to withdraw. And so then I had to depend. And God really met me there at that border and helped me to depend on him. You know, it's, it's only when I'm broken, I feel like at times, that, that I depend on him. But what I'm trying to do in my life and what I, I hope to, that you guys will do in your lives is to run to him first and not run to our own abilities. And it, it, I either can run to him, I can run to my own abilities, or I can run away. Those really are the, thing, the three things that I do. You're probably thinking, that guy runs a lot. Then doesn't look like it. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah. I love the verse, John 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So what does it mean for me to decrease? Well, here's what it looks like. Here's a few things. The first is to walk in humility. Like Paul, we need to count all things loss. 
Like John the Baptist, we need to recognize that everything we have comes from him. The second is having a kingdom perspective. You know, realizing, like, like John the Baptist did, it's all for God's glory. It's not for my own glory. The third is being really willing to be seen for who you really are. This summer, I was watching the, uh, the highlights of the ESPYs. For those of you who don't know, the ESPYs is kind of like the Oscars that ESPN does for sports people. And they were given a Lifetime Achievement Award to a woman named Robin Roberts. Robin Roberts was a, a sportscaster on ESPN, and then she ended up leaving ESPN to go work for Good Morning America. And she was an anchor on Good Morning America. And while, while being an anchor on Good Morning America, she got cancer. And she really had to decide, what do I do? A lot of people were telling her, get out of the public eye, deal with it privately, and then if you get healed, come back. But her mom kept telling her, let your mess be your message. And so she decided that I'm going to stay on Good Morning America and let the world see me, me battle with cancer. And not only was it, a, was it awesome for her, but it was a huge blessing for other people as they were able to relate. And I don't feel like I do that well. I want to hide my mess. I don't want it to be out there for other people to see because it's, I like to perform. But as I've, real, as I've grown in my, my understanding of this, as I've let my mess be out there, I've seen it really bless people. I've had people come up to me and say, you know what, Eric, as you shared about your insecurities with your weight, it really ministered to me. I've had other people come up to me and say, Eric, as you've shared your mess, you've become more approachable to me. Because before I thought you just did everything right and I was embarrassed to be, be around you because you just performed so well. So I really think that as we let our mess be our message, that, that is one way in which we decrease and God's able to increase in our lives. Also, sometimes it involves losing face. In China, with the word dio menza, the dio menza we, sometimes we have to not be concerned about how we look. But ultimately, I think it comes down, down to dependence and surrender. We need to depend on God and surrender our lives to him. So what does it not look like? False humility. We all know what that looks like. So I'm not going to go into it too much, but I think we can't manufacture humility. We genuinely need to put God and his plan first. It also doesn't look like being unvalued to God. Sometimes when I hear people think about what does it look like to decrease, that, that means that I have to be this contrite, microscopic might. But God loves us, even in our decreased state. And I think often, I just want you guys to know that it doesn't mean you're less valuable to God. You're actually at a, a better place for him to use you. And it also doesn't mean closing open doors. Sometimes God opens doors for you for a reason. And I think at times, I think for me it's easy, oh, I don't want to perform, so I'm not going to go speak here, or I don't want to perform, so I'm not going to do this. But maybe that's what God's doing in my life. So how can I go through that door dependent on him instead of performing or withdrawing? So we're all in a process. John Newton... Uh, was a famous slave trader, and he was actually more famous because he wrote uh, many songs, including Amazing Grace. But I love this quote. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. We're all in a process. God is is at work within us to the day of of completion on Christ Jesus. And so... To me, it's just really encouraging to know that, that 
we're moving in the right direction. God wants to increase in our lives as we decrease. So how does he increase in our lives? The first, the first way is through prayer. Ask him. God commands us to be filled with his spirit, and he also promises us when we pray according to his will, he hears us, and if he hears us, then we know we have what we ask of him. So by faith, we can know that when we ask him to fill us, ask him to increase himself in our lives, we can know that we have that. The second part is to trust. Are there parts of your life that you struggle to trust him in? I know I struggle to trust him with our finances. I struggle to trust him with certain relationships that I have that are difficult, with maybe some difficult people that God's put in my life. At times, I struggle to trust him with the safety of our kids. Well, what would it look like if you trusted God with your finances, or if I trusted God with my finances, or with relationships, or, or my kids? And then the third thing is to step out in faith. Faith is like a muscle. As you exercise muscles, they get bigger and bigger. Well, as we exercise our faith, it, it gets bigger and bigger. So as we step out in faith, he's increased in our lives. You know, one of the things I've noticed, in, specifically in being in Beijing, is it's this idea that I need to be an expert before I can lead or teach others. But if you are in a Bible study, go ask your Bible study leader, do they feel like an expert? I have a feeling they're going to say no. And I think the reason why is because we're not experts. We're, at times, we're just willing to show up. Sometimes that's all it is. I remember someone long ago telling me, it's not your ability, but your availability that God desires. When we trust him in his plan, he can use us regardless of our abilities. So if he's increased in our lives, what would that look like? I want you to think about it. What could God possibly do through you? Not because you're perfect, not because you perform well, not because you have all the right answers, but just because you're willing to show up and you're willing to yield your life to Christ. You're willing to depend on him. What could he do through your life? Maybe he's calling you right now to share your faith with somebody you know, maybe a family member or maybe someone in your neighborhood. Maybe he's calling you to lead a Bible study or get more involved in, in the leadership of the church. If he increases in your life, I, I imagine he can do amazing things, things that you won't even be able to understand until you, you see him doing it. You know, my son Ian turned seven this summer, and one of the things we enjoy doing is there's a we live in Tiantong Yuan, which is uh, west of here by about a half hour. And there's this inflatable swimming pool that, that, that some guy built. And we like to go in there. And my kid's Chinese level is very high. Well, at least I think. And um, Ian really wanted to get a, a glass of water at the pool, or a, a bottle of water. And he said, Dad, can, can you get me some water? And I said, you know, you can go. There's, there was a shop right there, and, and he, I gave him the money. And, and, and he was so hesitant. And then finally I said, Ian, I think you can do this. You know what to say. And he's like, oh, I don't know. And, and finally I said, okay, Ian, I want you to say it, but I will go with you. And he, his, his face lit up, and he was so excited to go. And I love that. The, you know, that's a promise I often cling to. In the Great Commission, when, when, when Jesus sends out his disciples... I love how it ends. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as he's increasing in our lives, what would it look like for the realization that I will go with you? 
What would it look like for you to cling on to that promise? Dad, will you go with me? Dad, I want to do this. I feel like you're telling me to do this. I feel like you're telling me to take this step of faith. Thank you for being with me. I will, I will be with you. So he must increase, but I must decrease. I just want to close in prayer right now. But as I do that, I, I just want to leave a, about a minute of silence as you think about where are you right now in your relationship with the Lord? Where are you on that scale? Are you 75% God, 25% you? I don't think there really is a scale like this. But in your own heart, think about it. How do I increase? What does it look like to have God in my life? And also, is there anything that he's calling me to? Is there anything that he wants me to take that step of faith? And no, just like my son Ian, Dad, I, I will go with you. If he's with you, what would it look like? So let me pray. Lord, thank you for just how much you love us. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Father, thank you that uh, you go before us, that you go in and through us. Holy Spirit, would you just empower us? So right now, I just want to take a few seconds of silence. Would you speak to our hearts? Help us to see how we can increase your, you, you and your presence in our lives. Help us to see if there's anything that we're holding on to that's preventing us from decreasing ourselves. Help us to see if there's something you're calling us to, Lord. Speak to us now, Lord. Abba, Father, thank you that you promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that you desire to fill us, you desire to empower us and direct us. Would you just give us a a greater understanding of who we are and the ways that we hinder that and help us to understand a greater way of who you are, Lord. We love you, Lord. It's your name I pray. Amen.